0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another week of Ranching Reboot. This episode is sponsored by our generous patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Rancher. One of them could be you next week. Today, we've got a special treat for you. Previous two-time guests, my good friend Matt Cleffer joins us from Southeast Kansas uh, to talk about some of the things kind of going on in the world and some, well, maybe not so many things going on in the world. We've covered that in other podcasts lately, (laughs) but we're, what we want to do today is not throw out so much doom and gloom let's throw out some hope let's talk about what people should be doing or could be doing now as this episode comes out to plant a garden to start planning for the future so i i guess i guess before we get into that um can we have a Harmony Hill Farmstead update, sir? Yeah, man.
1: Well, we're uh, we're trucking right along. We're we're kind of changing some gears up right now, and I'm I'm really taking this season away from the production side of things because of the shape the world is in, and we are really pouring all of our resources into education, helping people uh, learn and understand how to be resilient and how to prepare themselves for what is coming. So we have april 30th we have a garden class coming up the class is free i want you to come don't let money be the barrier i do have lunch provided we're going to have some harmony hill uh some of our pastured pork bratwurst with some of our own uh homemade fermented sauerkraut lunch will be 12 bucks come enjoy the day i have robert eskew coming from rose creek farm in selmer tennessee uh a little bit about them. They garden. They market garden on three quarters of an acre and clear seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in, in uh, gross sales per year. It's a highly intensive. say that again. <laughs> three quarters of an acre. Okay. No tractors. There's the owner and and the uh, two or three hired hands. Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in gross sales.
0: Highly diversified. That's
1: yeah, it's incredible. I got to go tour the place. Robert's a good friend of mine. I helped him uh, kind of get some stuff on his homestead going. I drove all the way up there and helped him butcher pigs. And he's going to be coming down here. We're we're swapping expertise. He's coming down here to teach us how to grow a lot of food in a short space. We're going to be having some butcher classes. I've just uh, I built this garage. I've got it uh, set up to to basically how to how to have your home be able to have a butcher shop in your home and not break the bank and buy a lot of equipment, how to do it on the cheap and make it super effective. Um, so we're gonna be tuning into our Facebook page and uh, we're gonna figure out a way to get people's email addresses. Cause I know Facebook, my days on Facebook are numbered and I don't trust that platform. Uh, so we're gonna try to get a hold of people's email addresses so that we can contact you and let you know when these classes are happening so that we can help out as many people as possible. So.
0: And not so much yeah. depend on Facebook to get the word out, right? Yep. So, um I have a little problem with your your upcoming prepare conference. I can't make it. Well, I, there's okay. I have a good reason. The yep. open range 200K is that weekend. That's oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's a bicycle race that comes across the ranch. So I'm going to have. Oh gosh, I think uh, I think Eric said he had over like 500 people registered. Yeah, 500 nut cases are going to go ride right 128 miles through the red hills and sandy dirt roads and across some of my pastures and a couple other people's pastures. So that's going to be going on on the 30th. So okay. I, well, I kind of is- need to stick around for that and make sure that you know none of the cyclists die or you know get tangled up in the in the hot wire or get you know get their bike twisted up in the barbed wire or anything bad. So Maybe not that there- that's happening.
1: Yeah, there will be more. Trust me. We're we got a long ways to go in this. And and uh yeah, there will be more. So but you're you're helping the cause just the same. So do what you need to do.
0: So it I like doing that open range because it gives me a chance to share my land and the beauty and the views. Yeah. With a couple hundred people that are very health conscious Mm -hmm. that want to come out and do these bicycle rides specific because a they're hard and b because it's stuff that they never get to see otherwise that's cool so minister to that
1: crowd man
0: i i'll do my best and i've always had it in the back of my head that someday i'll be able to sell sell that group beef that i raise off the ranch that they've been able to ride by so
1: yeah that day's coming man
0: i've had that i've had that one in my head for a while we have been working that angle awesome so building our soil health and community food culture. Yep. That's the way forward, right?
1: Yeah, essentially, metaphorically, like, I always, I always think of like, this is the time we're preparing to build the ark. We're building okay. the ark right now. And you always got to wonder, like, when that was going on, God gave Noah the image, something's going to happen. And he had to do that unfaith of like, he, he didn't see the bad stuff happening. He knew in his mind that something was going to, crazy. And he had the faith to be able to build that arc and everybody else was looking at him and laughing at what he was doing to try and prepare for this event. And that's where we're at right now. And we're not gonna talk doom and gloom today, but for those people that are awake and do see what's coming and you're in preparation for your ark. now is not the time to lose steam. Now is not the time to question. This is like when you're in the outfield and you're you're watching the pitcher and the batter at the plate. I think I used this analogy in our last podcast, but you can tell where that ball is going to go before that batter ever swings the bat, and you need to start shifting your feet and running to, to intercept because if you're one step behind, that's going to cost us the game where we're at. I mean, literally things are, are progressing so fast every day.
0: Now, I'm not a baseball yeah. guy, but I can understand the analogy.
1: Yeah. And so before we get into the what and the how, for me, the why is the most important. The why is what is going to sustain you when everybody else is pointing and laughing out like, there, there's nothing, there's nothing going wrong. Why are you doing all that gardening in your front yard? And why are you trying to learn how to butcher a pig? Why don't you come out to the country club with us and relax?
0: I had this nice steak that the cook made that nobody knows where it came from. And these vegetables that came from halfway around the world, sprayed with God only knows what. So
1: the why you need to write your why down and probably tape it to your bathroom mirror. All of us do. You do, I do, everybody that's listening to this and put your why down and your why might be because I want to make sure that my family gets through this to the other side. Intact and that my legacy uh, is sought out through my relatives and my tribe and my community, whatever it may be. But I'm telling you, we have not seen anything like what's coming in the likes of multiple generations. And the way forward is learning to how learning how to do more with less. Because. There is not gonna be any do- how to do more with more. How to get more corn with more fertilizer. How to get a bigger cow with more feed. It's how do you get more with less feed, with less fertilizer, with less inputs and allow biology to run its course. We're not talking about chemistry today. We're not talking about how to manipulate it to make it go bigger faster. The way to go forward is to understand that biology takes time and that it's a cycle, and you have to trust it. The way it was created, it works. It's not broken, and when you trust it, and we don't, we as humans get out of the way, and have some patience, it will take care of us. I mean, the system of economics. If you, uh, if you take a pepper and you pick it off the plant, and you go in your house and you open up the pepper, inside that pepper are hundreds of seeds. Off that one pepper has the ability to reproduce hundreds of times over and again. That one pepper can make enough food in another two seasons to feed a neighborhood block just from one piece of produce. Right. And the ability when we have that understanding, it's like, oh, my gosh, nature wants to provide so much for us. Why are we getting in the way? Why are we using seeds that cannot reproduce?
0: Because somebody for told us they were a good thing.
1: That's right. And <clears throat> we'll we we'll leave that conversation for a different day. But the the biological bank account that is going to get us through this human human designed depression is our soil, as you said. And for us to be resilient on the day when you can't run by the hardware store and pick up that fertilizer to grow a garden, you need to have a system in place for how to make this easy, uh, not labor intensive and incredibly resilient to our very, very, very unpredictable weather patterns we've been having. We could see a drought this year. We could see insanely uh, where some weather forecasters are talking like La Nina is not done and that cycle is going to blow through here again. And we could see an insanely wet spring summer It could be like 1816 when Thomas Jefferson wrote it was the year without a summer when uh, Mount Tambora erupted. Right. Uh, We have insanely high volcanic activity right now. It's just very volatile and we don't know what the future holds. And when that comes, we can't rely on products. That's not going to be there to bail us out. We can't rely on silver bullets. We have to rely on a system that can prove the test of time. And that system is. Humans survived thousands of years growing their own food up until now. And there's only a few of us left that understand how to do it. The rest of us are completely freaking clueless. I mean, clueless. And if you're one of those people, I would just encourage you to stop what you're doing right now and and literally change your priorities to the fact of, I need to know how to do this before I worry about my new membership at the country club or whatever you're,
0: or saving up to buy do. a new pair of Jordans.
1: Not important, not important. We're literally down to talking about survival. It's no longer about the fluff. Sell that stuff now. It, it's going to be worthless in a few months. Nobody cares about your golf clubs. Nobody's going to be golfing. Everybody's going to literally be trying to survive. That's how fast. Ask yourself this. When Rome fell, you know, all of these Eastern European uh, societies, when when they went down the trash, how fast did it happen? Did the society see it coming?
0: No. They never do.
1: Never. Never. It doesn't work like that. People just... The human species goes 100 miles an hour until they literally walk off the edge of the cliff, and then they look back up and go, "Well, what ha- what happened?
0: Somebody throw me a rope." It's crazy. So,
1: um, yeah, let's. Where Where are the majority of your listeners from, Brian? Are they suburbanites? Are they urbanites? Are they who Who listens to this show? Who are we talking to?
0: Uh, you know, I I honestly, I really don't have that kind of granular demographic data. Um, it's broken down by, you know, by country, by city, or by country, state, city, in a lot of cases, or like uh, you know, some of the listeners in Europe, I've got listeners in Europe, a few in South America, some in Australia, some in Asia. Like, I, it's pretty well represented. I'm not going to say like, you know, 100 people in, you know, in Africa, listen, there's maybe like two, three, five, whatever. Um I, I really don't know. Uh I've got the majority
1: of your listeners miss midwestern ranchers.
0: My number one city and state is Houston, Texas. Hmm. So, uh, yeah. I I honestly don't know. I'd like to hope that at least half the people listening, you know, I, I I'd like to imagine that say we've got a 50-50 blend of of people already with boots on the ground doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, looking for better ways, looking for more information. And mm-hmm. I'd hope that we got to the other half that is in the filing cabinet in the city or in the suburbs that's, you know, working a nine to five for somebody else that's interested in regenerative ag and soil health. I'd like to think that we've got at least a few people out there that, you know, are in that, in that demographic okay. that we can talk to. Sure. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I, I know there's even some some big time production commodity crop farmers that listen and um, maybe not anymore, <laughs> maybe not anymore. Maybe I have run them off, but I did. I did have some guys that, you know, were were into tillage and chemical use and, and things like that, that they're listening. Well, I wish I, I go ahead.
1: I was going to say, here's the scariest part of kind of where we're at is even the people that consider themselves farmers raising things like that still don't raise food that they can readily eat it's like if you're a commodity crop farmer well you might be raising thousands of acres of food but you're still not not raising food like something's got to happen to that stuff before a human can consume
0: it well so it's i mean commodity crops so you know we've got corn soybeans those are the biggest two wheat we can talk about a little bit but corn and soybeans aren't food I mean, none of the, almost none of the soybeans that are grown around here are eaten for food. Like, I think that it's, it's a very small percentage of the U S soybean acres that actually go towards human consumption. And it's the, it's the same thing with corn, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, there's millions of acres of corn. Well, 40% goes to ethanol. 40% goes to cow feed. 18% goes to other uses and 2% is actually for human consumption like of all the acres of corn planted like 2 maybe 3% are for direct human consumption the rest ethanol which oh well that's that's then we can use that for ethanol then we can feed that to cows or you know directly to cow feed it's it's really interesting to talk about feeding the world because we can't even feed our communities i mean it's a little better in eastern Kansas, but the farther west you go through Kansas, and I'm sure it's like this in most other states that kind of straddle that hundredth parallel, you get east of that and things are, things are a little bit better. You know, land bases are a little bit smaller, farms are a little bit closer together, and there's more people doing what you're doing. But you get out west, past west where I'm at, you know, you need a much larger land base to make things work. And the get big, get out mentality, I think, drove a lot of that you know, okay, well, I've got 5,000 acres to do now because I had to buy out my neighbor or somebody else was going to get it. Well, instead of doing these other crops, we're just going to, you know, we're not going to do this other thing so we can do more of this. I, I I, understand why everybody got big, but I think the time to get small, it's now. Oh, baby. Ooh.
1: I tell you what, I'm, what's encouraging me right now is we've got several farmers around here that are on that uh you know their crotch is on the hot wire and they're straddling both sides man do we do we try to acquire more land or we do we downsize and there's a lot of farmers around here downsizing that are outsourcing some of their land to uh guys my age with families that uh are wanting to have a space to uh raise pastured pigs or get some of their own cows and they're they're instead of continuously hanging some old hay meadows guys are taking them off and, and uh, hot wiring a few cows through there so they can have those for butcher animals. I mean, people are really starting to wake up around here and I'm encouraged. I really am because even the, the big time, well, there's a couple big time commodity crop farmers that are just continuing on in their own direction because that's the only way they can survive is if they, I mean, they're just so, they're so big. They can't, the only way they're going to fail is if they stop getting bigger. Literally that's, that's the track you're on. And if you're still at that place where you can be resilient by downsizing, every one of them is doing it. Every one of them is getting, they're selling the sprayers and they're getting back out that cultivator and they're getting back down to an acreage size. that's manageable without these 600 horse tractors, like we were talking about earlier. And they're getting back to a place where they don't feel controlled to have to sell off their commodity stuff at the elevator where they can go, okay, well, we can, we've, we've got uh maneuverable way that we can use this to feed out some feeder animals we can get this into some hogs and and guys that they're going going back out into them old chicken houses and the mill hog barns and dusting off the boards and flipping the lights back on and filling up them feraling crates and trying to get some stuff happening again that's what's got me encouraged is uh These old diversified farmsteads that really died down in the seventies and eighties, there's still a few guys left. I'm one of them. I remember what that was like waking up in the morning, drinking the Dr. Pepper with my grandfather, going down, collecting eggs, going down and feeding the baby piglets, getting out and uh, heading to the cow calf in the pasture, a diversified farm going and picking uh, pears and fruit out of the orchard with my grandma. I remember doing all that as a kid. And that, that today, I believe, is what I'm gonna pass on as my legacy into this generation of what is to come. Because I'll give you a little, a, a little cool bit of history. When my ancestors came over here from Germany, my great-great-grandfather was an orchardist. And when he started the Klepp for Homestead, he planted hundreds and hundreds of apple trees and uh, apricots and pears. And there's still an old apricot tree by grandma's house was one that he planted and it bloomed last year and it put off fruit. We're talking way over a hundred years old, way, way over a hundred years old.
0: You said through those seeds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, as we speak, those, those seeds are, are stratifying. Cause I believe I never met the man. I never met my great, great grandfather, but I believe he is, He is going to pass something on to me this year that he saw unimaginable things in his lifetime, but I feel the quickening in my feet, the shifting in the ground, the uneasiness in the air, probably the same that he did hundreds of years ago, a couple hundred years ago when everything was falling to pot and they, they immigrated to America and things were going crazy. So anyway. I know that I can be resilient. I trust my my ancestral wisdom that's inside of me. You know,
0: so there's a lot of that ancestral wisdom that we've lost over the generations because get big or get out. You know, nobody wanted to maintain that farm, maintain that history. Neighbor bought it, and history gets lost, knowledge gets lost, and yep. that. The journey is trying to reclaim that lost knowledge of how to work with less, how to make more with less in this environment. Mm-hmm.
1: One of the really cool things to think about, well, it's not really cool. It's, it's actually kind of scary at first is, is when you go down this journey of trying to reclaim that ancestral wisdom, there's, there's a very high learning curve and a high amount of failure that needs to happen so that you can have the understanding And really what you're doing is reacquainting yourself with your senses. You know, you put your iPhone in your pocket and you're not allowed to get out that app to tell you what tree you're looking at or that botany book to tell you what plant species you're looking at. And you're reclaiming your senses, your eyes of how you're looking at the distribution of diversity of plants under your feet. And you're understanding the forage that's around you, the heights of the trees and the different canopies the color of the soil, the smell of the soil, all of these are senses that used to be wisdom to any human that walked out on the range. They could go, these are the species. This is what I need to survive. And they literally didn't have to look up anything. They just knew it. And, you know, we're at a point today where there isn't that time to fail, to reacquaint oneself with their senses and their surroundings. Like, That's, that's why the sense of urgency for you and I is so high right now is because guys, we don't have time to go out there and and mess up. Like, when it gets go time, we're talking in a few months, most people don't even have their homesteads or farmsteads. Like, for me, I planned out over a year ago, I already have all of this season's grain bought to finish out all of my feeder pigs. And I have records Going with a couple area local area farmers to buy right off the field all the grain I need to get next year's sows taken care of and enough grass worked out with neighbors. I'm not, I don't have any grain for my cows, but and I'm not really worried about chicken at this point. Uh but I'm planning this stuff two years out. Fuel-wise, I know how much fuel I need to grind enough feed for my pigs. Uh, to get through a whole year, and I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I was ready months ago, but
0: you've also seen the handwriting on the wall.
1: I feel like I got this vision, kind of like Noah building the ark. Noah was given the ark or the division seven years before the flood, seven years to prepare. That was how long he had, and that was when I quit teaching. I walked into my superintendent's job, and I, I had, I knew something was going to happen, and. Uh, Here we are. That was way over five years ago.
0: That's the we just I just found the title of the episode. Building the the,
1: Building the Ark, baby. I'm telling you. I've 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 made videos about like that. There's a lot of people that are starting to get switched on of like, uh maybe this crazy guy is right. Cause at first it was like people point and laugh at me. Yeah. And then they try to ridicule you. And then they're like, oh man I was just really hoping you were wrong but you're not wrong (laughs) well it's okay
0: do you ever hate being right
1: I do hate being right but I I do wish I was wrong I too wish I could just continue with my comfortable government job and teaching school and drawing a little paycheck and coming home and living comfortably but we're not there sorry it's it's go time and
0: the days, yeah. the days i think of easy comfort are drawing to an end oh, yeah. and let's okay. not go down the doom and gloom rabbit trail we kind of agreed yep. not to do that that's why we spent a yep. few minutes before we punch the button to talk so let's talk about community food tribes yeah yeah how do we how do we reach those people that are living I don't know, let's just say like in Derby or Lenexa or, you know, somewhere where they've got a house and a yard or maybe even an apartment building and, you know, a sunny south facing window. Let's let's start talking about some strategies that everybody could do, then maybe get into some more focused stuff.
1: Yeah, the biggest thing is, is number one, building relationships, I think. Because if you're in that environment, you are not in a place where you can get yourself through a highly tumultuous age that is going to last multiple years, unless you have a relationship with someone that can furnish you protein. And protein is the is basically the the ticket through a, a famine. I mean, if you don't have protein, your immune system gets bogged down, you get sick. The healthcare industry is extremely taxed and stressed from every you know, every direction. And if your body does not have adequate protein, you're not going to make it. So building a relationship with a farmer, a rancher, somebody that does have access to any kind of livestock whatsoever, please don't be picky. Please don't come and whine about you like you got an old bull and all you could do is make hamburger out of it. I mean, then do it.
0: It's, uh, if, it's 500 pounds of hamburger which feeds a lot of people for a long time
1: yeah like at this point complaining about you know it, ta- it tastes gamey well that's you can taste dead then you know
0: like <laughs> your taste buds don't, don't work when you're dead
1: <laughs> that's right that's right so building those relationships with the right people uh for your suburbanites is number one key ensuring food insurance if you're not in a place to get protein fine now as far as your little home or your little backyard i'm what i'm going to do instead of giving you the information is i'm going to i'm going to name drop for a second and give you names of people that you can get online watch their systems and see which one fits you fits your personality your surroundings which one you like the best because there are way better people out there than that, than me, my specialty is building relationships and networking. That's what I do best. So if you, if you want to jot down these names, there's a, a couple guys up in Canada, as far as market gardening go, the number one is uh Curtis stone and he has a platform called from the And he has thousands and thousands of videos about how to grow a lot of food in a, sh- in a very small space. Okay. The second one from Canada is JM Fortier, F-O-R-T-I-E-R. Uh, he and Curtis are neck and neck in terms of uh, in- insanely innovative content uh, that, and their systems are, are very similar. Uh, they both use kind of a, a mainstream 30 inch wide bed and the length of it, I believe is either 50 or hundred foot. They use similar tools to go about growing the food. Uh, I would say Curtis's platform with from the field.tv is a little bit easier to access for the people that are in the Northern United States. There's a guy up in Maine who has designed a mobile greenhouse system and, and does year around vegetable gardening in Maine. And really uh, I believe his, one of his books is called the year around garden. His name is Elliot Coleman and, um, He has some really cool, uh, I think he has four books that are just really, really good. What was the one you
0: named? The book you named?
1: I believe it's Year Round Gardening.
0: I'm I'm trying to take good notes, so I make sure I have these in the show notes.
1: Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of, oh yeah, obviously my buddy Robert works with Ray Tyler over in Selmer, Tennessee at Rose Creek Farm. Ray's got a couple courses and classes, but it's more so geared towards the microgreens and lettuce and and really fast uh high turnover crops uh that's what ray has really tailored his farm to and man he is killing it um in terms of you know but the biggest thing is for me i have upgraded my garden setup this year to make it way more hands off uh i went i'll, I'll just kind of give you a rundown of what i've done uh to make gardening not consume me. Cause I got four kids, they're all doing baseball and we're busy in the summers, you know? So the biggest, the first thing is have a weed barrier, something to cover the soil. I mean, this is a soil health principle. We know this, but I'm just putting this out there. A tarp, a uh, weed block, something that is gonna hold moisture down and suppress your weed pressure and lower the watering you have to do, uh, help keep your soil nice and warm. And then you cut little holes in it and put your transplants in there, or cut a big long slit and plant a row of green beans, and then weigh it down with some rebar. And then I I bought a ten thousand foot roll from DripDepot.com of uh, irrigation tape. And and I bought some little uh, ends. And what I do is I plug that irrigation tape through a little barb into an old garden hose. Yep. I'm... And I run that tape all the way down there. And I put I bought a forty dollar timer from Drip Depot and I punched in my schedule and then I, I hit go and I just walk away and that thing automatically waters my whole garden. And then I also added a little uh, one, ge- this is really cool. I, Robert showed me all this from Rose Creek. But what they do is they hook their whole greenhouse up to these inline compost tea fertilizer systems. So I, I right after my water timer, it's got a little hose inlet and it goes down and sucks the fertilizer out of this this little uh it's composty is what it is so like I get like a Johnson Sioux compost bioreactor and put a spout on the bottom of it and that goo that's coming off the bottom of it that's highly okay. nutrient compost tea I just pour it in this bucket and it automatically injects all of that whole watering system with compost tea and I don't do a thing.
0: That's pretty sweet.
1: In fact, yeah if it wasn't so windy I'd walk out there and show it to you. It's just right out in the front yard but uh it's man if you tune into my facebook page you can add me any of you listeners that want to check it out i'm going to be doing a video on it here in the next couple days just add me as a friend matt klepper k-l-e-o-p-f-e-r and uh, yeah that'd be fine and i'll just give you a rundown of kind of what what it is because man the reason why people quit gardening is nobody likes pulling weeds nobody likes standing out there watering i mean make it so that you know, you're resilient. You can still do the things you need to do to prepare and you're not spent out there doing all this gardening stuff. Like do the setup time first and it will pay dividends later. So
0: I've been spending time working on my corn bed because for some reason, vegetables don't excite me a whole lot. And Mm -hmm. I want to try growing some really colorful, like heritage or indigenous varieties of, of Flint corn. To say yeah, grind into cornmeal because that's a good way to preserve stuff. is gonna try to grow some sweet corn because mm-hmm. she wants sweet corn, but I think that I think that flint corn might be a little bit smarter decision because cornmeal stores for a while. Sweet corn really doesn't without special preparation. You know, the hard dent or the hard flint corn, yeah. You you can't eat it off the cob. Okay. Is it hard to mill? Yeah. There's a reason for that because it's supposed to do that to make you know, to get hard to maintain all the nutrients in it. And there's
1: there's a reason why those those old heirloom corns were all the way up to 14, 15% protein and today yellow dent corn is only eight percent. I mean. Heirloom varieties know how to be scrappy with the soil and give you more. You think you're getting less because farmers are like, wow, well, it only yields about 100 bushel and I can get 200 bushel out of this mon corn that a franken corn. They're like, well, yeah, you're right. But what's your what's your breakdown of trace minerals? What's your breakdown of protein? Well, you what's might your nutrient
0: requirements protein? for that crop. That's right.
1: You might only get 100 bushel, but you're getting almost double the protein. That's a big deal.
0: Not to mention the reduced input costs.
1: Huge. I mean, Monsanto is shaking and quaking in their boots right now because they don't know how they're going to continue to survive on this high input, high feed, high output crop system that they've designed and made everybody a slave to. And to me, this is great news. I'm excited. I'm encouraged. (laughs) But
0: man, it's going to be an interesting year to be a commodity farmer.
1: (laughs) I know my father's one of them. And you know, what's cool. You know, what's encouraging me is I was, we were having this conversation the other day and, and he was like, yeah, I, I was telling him, I was like, I remember when grandpa used to save, uh, seed corn and seed Milo. And he'd save part of that crop off and go out and sow it and the next year. He's like, "Yeah, I think we're gonna go back to that." I was like, "What? All right, yeah, Dad." <laughs> I was cheering him on. I was like, "Oh, this is so cool!" And he's, you know, he's not doing it on his plots that are like right by the road where everybody else, could. like, he's going back on the back forty, back yeah. yonder ways, and 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 planting him some some resilient fields of the stuff nobody else can see what's going on back there. And he's back there planting, waiting till everybody else has all their their GMOs and stuff in the ground. So it doesn't get cross pollinated and, and, and making him a little safety patch. And there's a lot of farmers doing that. And they won't ever tell you they're doing that just because of peer pressure, but there's a lot of people doing that right now.
0: That's really but, interesting. And that's, that's really smart. I mean, I have a safety patch of, of open pollinated seeds. Hmm. That's right. Yeah. I think that's, that's super, super smart. Cause if the last 24 months have taught us anything, it's that anything can happen. And anything that does happen will have downstream effects that are very difficult to predict.
1: If you are a commodity farmer listening to this, I I just want to be your biggest cheerleader. If you have a field or something that's that wasn't a high producer wasn't something that was really offering and you are in a spot where you can experiment you can do just go out and just try something i want to encourage you to do it like go back there and just get a hold of some old bloody butcher corn or some old like you know like back in the days of like hogemeyer or all of these early unhybridized sources of grain turkey red wheat uh yep we're talking old 1800 strains of grain you can still find them out there they're out there go plant them just try something but don't continue doing what we've been doing because it can't continue it can't continue so there you go that's my encouragement
0: (laughs) sometimes i find it a little bit difficult to have encouraging words for those commodity farmers but you're right i like that i really like that concept and it's it's kind of similar to what i've applied on the ranch you know when i did when i first dipped my toe in a strip grazing um, in 2019 it was kind of in a corner of the ranch that i wasn't going to use for anything else like okay i've got this grass over there i can put something on it all right i'll just put put my money where my mouth is and do it and it worked and that was three and a half percent of the land the total land area of the ranch and for 2020, uh, we converted over like almost 14% of the land over to be strip grazed. And I still have it this year. Didn't use it last year. I'm going to need to do some strip grazing this year. I mean, just to buy days. I'm, um, I destocked by 40%. Like I cut my stocking rate by 40%. That's how, that's how worried about the drought I am. Like we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, possible Lenina scenario coming in and having a wet spring and winter or wet spring and summer. That's not what my crystal ball says. My crystal ball says dry, 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 dry. Right. Yeah. And the trend line is dry. The trend line is warmer. Um, you know, and look, I bet the handwriting has been on the wall for the drought too. If you've been yeah. to attention to the drought mitigation center or uh, the climate prediction center, you can, you can go back and you can watch that drought over the last two years creep from the southwest and the west, and it's just keep and it's just going east. I don't think it's going to stop. I think it's just going to gradually keep creeping east and north and you keep getting drier and drier. And I've never said this out loud. Part of my theory as to why it's dry here in the Midwest is because we went down to Arizona, New Mexico, and ruined the dirt down there.
1: uh it's i mean you look at the history of this planet grow zones shift all the The sahara what's that yeah the sahara desert used to be a very fertile place it hasn't always been desert and any civilization who depletes their soil depletes themselves
0: sumerians babylonians i mean it's it happened in South America with natives. That's why they had to keep moving around. Uh, Rome fell because their soil gave out. Their, quote, irrigated agriculture failed. You know, And Rome had a very similar situation to what we have. They had yep. you know, a, quote, democratic government they had, that had been around for so long that they got a class of career politicians that would go to the Senate and they'd be Roman senators for 30, 40 years their families would be fabulously wealthy in order to keep the peace give them bread and circuses football and food stamps and when the entertainment value started you know when not the entertainment value when they couldn't provide food enough food that's when the people get really upset when the government has told you for years we will take care of you we will feed you we will take care of you. We will feed you. And then an, unfor- an I'm not going to say an unforeseeable event because these events are foreseeable. They're predictable to anybody that understands complex systems theory. Like complex systems will eventually fail. And the more complex the system, the more failure prone it is. Yep. And we're, a
1: big, we're in big trouble.
0: Yeah, we are.
1: Now, I mean, we can look at this even from the value of entertainment. Look how much everyone in america is so unstimulated by the the things that used to entertain us like two black guys had to slap the crap out of each other to get people to even notice that there was an oscars award two days ago otherwise nobody would have ever known that happened nobody cares anymore nobody people are are not even watching football and baseball the the main sources of entertainment that people used to clue into to to tailor their whole lives around to get season tickets and their kids to play sports and it was all about the sports and the entertainment value and now people are like i really don't care i really don't care
0: and well, this, that to me is cnn the gets like what a million viewers maybe
1: joe rogan's podcast is like 11 Slay! it's like slaying cnn by a lot on every day Every yeah day. he gets
0: like he gets like eleven to twelve million listeners per episode per episode like I don't even have a fraction of that for total downloads yet
1: yeah <laughs> it's insane but to me that's encouraging is like the mainstream sources of entertainment and information are losing their their uh, ability to manipulate and and sh- just guide the population so quickly that they're going to resort to some pretty drastic measures here pretty soon to, to try and force control, like, because they're losing it that quickly. That's what my fear is, especially with the potentials for, I don't want to use this term too loosely, but we're going to say false flag events with the whole Russian Ukraine thing. Cause all the, the, the baiting that's gone on to try to bait us into this world war three thing. That's really the only hope they've got to continue on the track. And to me, like, I don't want to go down that hole today, but literally you have to, you got to see this, these moving parts coming. Cause if you don't understand the, dire situation of how volatile this moment in human history is you're going to under prepare one and you need to prepare not just enough for yourself but for your family and enough people that could come to your place as laborers to help in the struggle
0: yeah and that's that's something we got into a little bit before I push the button like the labor issue is is an issue. Yeah that's why there's
1: yeah go ahead. Go ahead. Well I'm just saying like that's already an issue with our current system. There's crops that are literally rotting in the fields out in California because they don't have the labor to pick them and if you're in a place where you're trying to feed yourself there's a threshold of how many acres you're surrounded with how much food you're trying to raise and how much manpower you need to help with it and when it comes down to a system you cannot rely on machines to help uh multiply that level of production we're literally reliant on manpower uh and i was having a conversation with a contractor the other day i says Hey, how many men do you have to hire today to get a job done compared to 20 years ago? Because he was, he just had these rough looking guys working for him and they were struggling and they were just lagging behind, you know. And he's like, man, it used I used to be able to hire two guys and we could work all day in the sun all year round, just banging stuff out. And he goes, it takes me six guys to get done today and three times the money to get done what I used to be able to do with two. And uh, I said, well, what about these Amish characters? You know, I we've got a lot of Amish around us and guys are starting to really hire them to get construction done. And they're like, man, you bring six Amish guys out in one day and crap, they can build half a house in one day. I mean, yeah, it's no just kidding. insane what, what that manpower can do, but they have not lost their skills and ancestral wisdom through all this. And people might point and laugh They're running around riding horses and buggies, but I'm telling you what, they're going to come out of this deal smelling like a rose.
0: I've thought for the longest time that the Amish will be the last, they will have the last laugh, the Amish, the Mennonite, you know, that that whole sect of, of, of religions that that shuns outside world connections and doesn't rely on inputs and doesn't want to be a part of the Western Christian world and and holds to those old older values and I'm probably going to catch a bunch of hell for saying this, but they also really respect traditional gender roles, however good or bad that is, is up to interpretation. I can see a lot of benefits in it, in their culture, and there's also some pitfalls, for sure. And that's I guess that's probably all we need to say about that. But I've always admired any of the Amish or Mennonite people that I've ever had contact with, with their work ethic. They're just They're just genuine, humble, and nice people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I even kind of had a thought one time several years ago of shaving the mustache and running away to join the Amish. But uh, yeah, I didn't do it, of course. (laughs) It's uh,
1: yeah. And the funny part is, is like every psychologist that has studied all the different uh, civilizations where... You know, they basically break down the barriers of the gender roles, what ends up happening and no, no psychologists like regurgitating this data, but it's, it is true data, it is true information that the civilizations that end up breaking down those barrier, those gender barriers are the ones that in the long run, basically destroy themselves. And the ones that have the longest running traditions are the ones that uphold those and honor. It's not from a place of like, you know, I'm not into, you know, not allowing a woman to vote, but I am for the sake of, of really nurturing and protecting that sacred masculinity and that sacred femininity, because I believe there's true power in that And when we try to mix them or, or try to. I mean, you see it in the fertility of animals. When, when you got uh, bulls that are, uh, are feminine and cows that are masculine, you lose fertility issues.
0: Bulls I with mean, big it's, butts it's, and cows with big shoulders.
1: It don't work. You can't. And I mean, that's first we did. It's kind of funny. First, we did it to our food system and then it happened to us.
0: Huh. It's almost like what we do to our food system affects us. It's like you are what you eat. What? Never heard uh, of that before. I,
1: can, uh, I tell you what. Y'all uh, go out there and find you a YouTube video called uh, The Red Solo Cup Cow by uh, Eve um, Campbell. Yep.
0: Future and guests. Listen- like we are booked. His will be coming out like two weeks after this one, I think.
1: I listened to a really cool video of him and Gerald, Gerald Fry Gerald Fry and Steve Campbell, and it blew my mind. But they talked about the uh, the the kind of running onset of the, fem- the the feminine bull and the masculine cow, and I I took that and ran to it from to a human standpoint. It's like, golly boy, he's really right. Yeah. Where where did this cross over into humans? Well, about not long after. So, anyway,
0: enough of that rabbit trail. But yeah, okay. Steve Campbell is booked and on the schedule it'll be two episodes after this one hopefully if i don't screw that if i don't screw up recording schedule nobody bails on me in two weeks we'll have steve campbell on the show
1: i'm honored to be on the same show that steve campbell's going to be on that's cool
0: appreciate that (laughs) yeah and you know when i get steve on I, i we've already had a couple conversations we're not even probably going to even talk about red solo cup cows because if you want to hear about his red solo cup cow, there's a great video on YouTube. There's probably 53 other podcasts that he's done talking about red solo cup cows and remineralizing. So we're going to tell a different part of Steve's story, but mm-hmm. we'll still probably talk about, you know, genetics and phenotype and, and whatever, because we like talking about that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man.
0: Ah. Uh, So local food communities, local food tribe. How, how do you talk to people? Like, what do you say to somebody that's still shopping at Walmart and getting the great value brand and then going to the dollar store and getting their store brand and coming home feeding that kids? What do you, what do you say to that neighbor right now? For one
1: do, like, do they have a basic understanding of food storage? Like, are you buying one for now and one for later?
0: Well, yeah. You know, I mean, Twinkies don't go bad; they they store forever. Yeah, uh, <laughs>
1: those can those canned goods. Like, we have a, a diversity of canned goods, dried goods, uh, frozen goods, and cured goods in our basement uh, for long term storage. And when you're, when you're talking to people and you're done trying to convince them that they need to prepare, we're past that point and people are onto the, well, what do I do and how do I do it? Uh, diversifying your eggs into as many different bank accounts, uh, right beside me in my garage, I've got a line of deep freezes here. We have several deep freezes and frozen goods are good uh having a deep freeze with a half a beef or something that you butchered yourself or go get a feeder hog and do it yourself and labor in the love and get protein frozen and get protein cured learn how to cure meat so that you don't you're not fully relying on a freezer yep get yeah, I, yourself- I, think,
0: I think relying on a freezer is okay for the short term yep yep but i think we also need to put in the back of our heads We need to learn how to be able to store this food and cure it if there isn't refrigeration available or if we run out of space.
1: And I'll give everybody the million-dollar mineral for long-term food storage, salt. Salt is the agent of preservation. Salt has the ability to mobilize water through cellular walls and when bacteria has water in an anaerobic environment, it can proliferate uncontrollably. So if you have enough salt to preserve, you will be able to uh, mitigate the onset of agents like uh, Clostridium botulinum, which is botulism, or other promiscuous bacterias and molds that they cannot survive in an anaerobic acidic environment. So get salt. Get salt. Now. And what make kind sure, of salt, like, Matt? You know what? Honestly, if it came down to it, anything is going to work. Honestly, I mean, sure. Well, uh, we talked about re- Steve
0: Campbell, and we know he's a big, you know, he's he's real high on C90 and Redmond's conditioner and Kansas yeah. Independent Salt. I used C90 yep. last year. I've got two bags of it left. Uh, those might actually come to the house, and I'm going to go buy a couple pallets of Kansas Independent for the year. So that, that's my plan, and maybe we should say something about why, we're, why that's a good source. It's a The Kansas Independent Salt Company up there, Canopolis, they mine their salt from underground, mm-hmm. and that's an ancient sequestered source. That's evaporated sea salts from an ancient, ancient sea that has none of the modern contaminants or bullshit in it. Wow. Yeah, like Cargill, though, you could get Cargill salt, and it's in an evaporation pond from the surface. C90 is is still like current water. They're evaporating and super concentrating the salt. Like there's a little bit higher of a mineral ratio in that. Don't know a whole lot about Redmond's conditioner, but I know Steve always says, especially for, for cows, that you want an ancient sequester. You want an ancient sequestered source of salt, mm-hmm. not a not like you don't want to go buy Morton salt, iodized salt integrate because that's been you know that was liquefied and then recrystallized and they added iodine to it so you're missing a lot of the trace minerals and nutrients and other little biological thingies that are going to be in that ancient sequestered sea salt
1: Mm -hmm. yep and getting ourselves like the old timers would use salt and vinegar all the time and and, and the agent of fermentation is another way to preserve something like we grew 400 pounds of cabbage last year. We fermented all of it and we made 400 pounds of sauerkraut and, and I butchered two beautiful pastured pigs and turned them all into bratwurst. And we have a little German fest and that's some of the food we're going to be, uh, serving during our garden classes. Those, uh, homemade bratwurst and home fermented sauerkraut, that uh, sauerkraut's been down in the, in the cooler down there for months and months and months and months, and it's still rich and crunchy when you pull it out like nothing ever happened. And I mean, you want to talk about a powerful probiotic that keeps my immune. I have never to this day been vaccinated or worn a mask, and I still have yet to catch covid brian alexander
0: (laughs) well you have to go be in public around somebody around other people to get it you're like me matt i know you never you very rarely leave and when you do you stay in a small circle i
1: i i do travel a bit and i've been around a lot of people that have been around a lot of people like I, I should have, my wife got COVID and I made her spit in my face. I wiped her spit in my eyes. I kissed her. I made her cough in my face and I still couldn't catch it. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a testament to the microbiome and the robustness of one's uh, immune system. I stay very current on all of my supplements, which should be another point of conversation for uh, hard times is, is making sure you have enough health supplements and understanding of basic body anatomy, physiology, and and maintenance to have a good lean muscle mass, healthy metabolism, and very robust immune system so that you're not an easy moving target for a virus or bacteria to come and just wreak havoc on because,
0: man, I'm telling you what. You already said COVID, so Spotify is going to flag me for COVID-19 content. So- if your body's immune system is functioning properly a weak ass cold like covid-19 won't bother you. I see your cup. I love it.
1: Yeah, can it flag that? Go ahead and flag that. Whatever.
0: Uh, <laughs> you'll anybody. have to go to, fans you'll have to go to YouTube to see what we're talking about.
1: Right, sorry. Anyway, I hate I sorry I ruined your your unflagging parade but
0: Oh, no, yeah, it's fine. They, They've already flagged a couple of my episodes. Totally cool with it. They could flag away.
1: Okay, good. Uh, yeah, as far as making one not an easy target for susceptibility to, uh, you know, cold and flu season, uh, making sure you're like kind of almost making sure you're in fighting shape, making sure your joints are healthy, making sure that you're, you're uh, breathing and your metabolism, your circulatory system, are you reaching your VO2 max every day? Are you getting out and, and, and pumping your heart rate? Are you burning all of the glycogen out of your muscles every day? Uh, do your, are your mitochondria firing at 900% or, or are you just a giant sack of filthy, lazy microbes? Like To me, you got to be in super resilient shape to survive i mean think about it like we survived out in the in the cold and i tell you what my family my daughter and i we've been doing cold water therapy where we go out and we do breathing exercises and my daughter and my wife and i we do a, we'll, we'll jump in a giant stock tank of ice water and sit there and, and learn how to be fully relaxed in an extremely stressful environment and practicing that. And my little 10 year old man, she's an animal at She's incredible. Uh, but you know, for us, it, it is a way for us to, when things are going crazy around us, we have total control over our, our mental state and, and don't succumb to the outside environment and just stay calm. We don't put ourselves, let ourselves go to fight or flight when everything's going to hell in a handbasket around us. And you have to practice that because if you don't, before it gets there, it's going to literally consume you. And you're not going to be able to make decisions in that high stress environment. And you're, you're just, you're going to become a target.
0: Like a saying comes to mind. Like when you're in the middle of the shitstorm, look around for the one guy that's kind of calm because he's just standing there planning and he's about ready to cut fence and bail. And you better be on his leg when he moves or you're getting left behind.
1: That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm.
0: So you're talking about, about supplements. What, what kind of supplements are you talking about? What, what does Matt Cleffer take?
1: I mean, outside of your normal daily multivitamin stuff, the biggest kickers for me are having adequate vitamin D first and foremost, like, your testosterone as a man and your metabolism and so many things can't function. Your immune system cannot function at an adequate level. If you are deficient in vitamin D and 95% of the people in our area, our latitude, longitude are deficient in vitamin D that is.
0: They just not ever go outside, dude. Here's
1: what, here's what really made me skeptical last year. I was, I was very diligent going outside, taking my shirt off, spending time out in the sun in all parts of the day, morning, afternoon, evening. I got a good tan. I I got lots of sun to body contact. Uh, I was laying out in the heat of the day and I was like, man, my vitamin D has got to be banging. Well, our county health department had a little health fair where you could go and get your labs drawn for free. You could get your testosterone, your vitamin D. Uh, your uh, A1C, your T3, T4 uh, uh, thyroid panel. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go in and do that. I went in and I was in the very lowest percentile of vitamin D. And I was like, what? And my wife, she does not get out in the sun, but she does supplement. She does take uh, about 25 to 30,000 international units of vitamin D a day. And she was double, double what i was that's right that's interesting i was angry and i was like there's no way this is this is not right so i started i started supplementing after that That made me a believer of like okay when we talk about sun we're talking about lots of sun i mean lots of sun because i i sought out some different sources on weston a price and the wise traditions podcast about this and for us to have adequate sun i mean we're talking way more sun than what i was doing and the other thing is they also got vitamin d from the food and i was not doing that adequately so yes vitamin d we got a supplement most of us are so vitamin d deficient it's unreal And our immune systems cannot function without it. Uh, The other things, I mean, small things that are not as important, but still play a a pretty vital role, like making sure that for especially for women, women have so many more moving parts and the complexity of their daily health has so many more vulnerable spots to get kinked up and out of whack with all the hormones and reproductive system and everything making sure that our thyroid and our body is producing adequate t3 t3 is basically like the energy hormone and making sure that when we eat uh there's a couple cool little gadgets that can test our our uh our glucose and our insulin like making sure our insulin doesn't spike uh doctors put people on this pharmaceutical called metformin And what metformin does is it manipulates the mTOR pathway, which is the mammalian target of rapamycin. Basically, what it does is it tells your body not to react to high insulin and keeps your insulin suppressed. Well, if you were to eat a meal, when did you last eat?
0: Uh, Last night, because I kind of do a little intermittent fasting thing.
1: Yeah, man. Okay, that's awesome. Good for you. Okay, let
0: me me put the asterisks there this morning. I had my supplements, which is I take beef organ pills. Uh-huh. Yeah. And honey. So that's yeah. how I start my day with beef organ pills, honey, and coffee with real heavy cream. Okay. And that, so that's you, what that's what generally fuels me until about three, four, maybe five o'clock.
1: Okay. So off of that, you got cream, which is a fat. So you are gonna have an insulin spike. It won't be very big, but you did spike insulin. So when you Spike insulin. Let's say you have a, a high carb meal and you really spike insulin, like people that eat biscuits and gravy for breakfast and then they come out and eat it. I have to take it out. Uh, yeah. I mean, your body just goes into brain fog. You can't think. You're tired. You're lethargic. Well, if you would have taken about 20 minutes after your meal and done a serious post meal workout for about 15 minutes, lots of squats hit your heavy muscle groups that would suppress your insulin uh 30%. Metformin only suppresses 15%. So, doing a post meal workout is twice as effective as the leading pharmaceutical for insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. I like bet they but, don't
0: tell you that in the TV ad. No. It.
1: And it's free. You just got to get off your your tail. Like knowing these things about normal basic human biology physiology and, and bodily function is imperative. Like to me, it's, it's, it's common sense, but to your, your average everyday human species, like they just take the pill and they just want to be told what to do. I'm not That's out their there. a problem. To, yeah. I'm literally not out there to help those people right now. Those people, like they have to make the decision for themselves, whether they want to survive or not. And if you want to survive, go seek out the information. I'm here to help the people that are wanting to seek out the information. Uh, A great source for for ancestral wisdom on staying healthy is the Wise Traditions podcast. Um, My wife and I have listened to them for quite some time. Uh, They really tap into a lot of things that are way outside the normal Western medicine paradigm especially for women in childbirth, because let me tell you something. If we go and our healthcare system is so overrun, and we haven't even gotten into this, this would be something to really think about. And we can't even get into maternity wards in, the, in basic human reproduction anymore. Not being able to have a baby unassisted at home, maybe with a midwife, is something that most 99% of humans have never thought about. That but I is think most
0: humans would be absolutely horrified at that thought.
1: It is something that, well, my wife, she has been literally preparing for, she loves babies and reproduction and helping people have babies. And she has been preparing herself diligently to help people do that without all of the amenities of western medicine maternity wards
0: at home without an epidural
1: she had she did the last one like that no epidural it wasn't at home but she did it you know she wanted to know what it felt like what to do and it was insane when she began to trust her body and relax and give it time and stay focused it was amazing how the body just knew what to do and not forcing things like you know you've watched so many cows be born that cow knows what to do and it's not stressed out it just it goes into this i this actually I don't sit
0: around and watch them because it stresses them out like, right oh okay you're you're gonna have a baby cool i'm gonna go over here and check these other cows and let you do your thing like i yeah humans are no different
1: but we pack them in this hospital with beeps and sirens and nurses coming in every 20 seconds and there's all it's just a very high stress environment and it's so unnatural it's so unnatural but if you're a female and that source interests you I would encourage my my wife we're planning on having a class here at the farm about human reproduction in the age of nobody there to help
0: (laughs) The, the age that we're getting ready to enter
1: right right and you know the funny thing like we were talking about the Amish earlier like to them this is like well is there any other way I mean everybody just has babies in their barn in their house right I mean that's what everybody does
0: I, well, c- I can imagine there's a couple Amish boys listening to this podcast that are just laughing at us yeah uh, and I hope but, so
1: <laughs> yeah we're we're good friends with a bunch of Amish and Mennonite people and it's funny like They they call me like a country club Amish is what they call me, because like I know how to do a lot of the same stuff that they do, but I live a pretty ritzy Amish life. (laughs) (laughs) But it's ancestral wisdom that we've got to know to survive what's coming. I mean, there's just no way around it. So anyway, I'll drink my ivermectin and be quiet.
0: Oh, you said the I word. I'm not going to edit that out. You know, you, Sorry, you've man. probably given me about three hours worth of work doing all the research to write all these show notes and make sure I get the links right. Like, this is going to be the longest show notes ever. Sorry, brother. No, it, it's fine. That's what I want. Like, that's what we need. hmm. Open doors, start conversations, and, you know,
1: build relationships.
0: Build relationships.
1: That's number one imperative.
0: Ah. <sighs> So, how much food should you be storing? It's a good question. We have
1: been programmed to eat three meals a day, and we're going to have to unprogram that. We have been conditioned that the normal, healthy human is around, you know, a couple hundred pounds, and we're going to have to unlearn that. We're going to have to change our idea of what the human looks like and the inputs that it takes to feed one the same way that we've done it with our agricultural system. We're going to have to unlearn a lot of things. And we're also going to have to unlearn what the human body is physically capable of in terms of physical activity of getting stuff done in a day. The human body is insanely resilient and highly physical and capable of just accomplishing so much over a short span of time and learning that capability number one is first and foremost of what is possible can i do this by myself without the aid of machinery and how much food would it take to fuel that we don't want to be this giant bulky arnold schwarzenegger with tons of muscle mass that takes a ton of calories to upkeep that machine right there's a bell curve in there where like i'm a buck 70 how much do you weigh
0: about that. Uh one what about 160, 165. Yeah. Perfect. And coming out of my winter hibernation weight. <laughs> right. Summer fighting weight.
1: So when our bodies are, are highly conditioned and it's and it's an efficient, uh, physical, robust 160, 170 pounds, where you know our body doesn't tire down, our muscles are are burning good fuel. That is where we can make a good equation for making every single calorie count for something. There's not going to be this going to the gym to work out, like, you're going to spend those calories producing something productive, moving firewood, moving buckets of feed, uh, building structures, uh, carrying and moving things like that. Food has to have a purpose, and if you're not doing that, um like tailoring your day so that your food intake that you do take is just enough you're not eating for luxury anymore you're literally eating for fuel to power your biological tractor for and i'm thinking mainly for us as men uh to go out and get some physical stuff done if you're sedentary if you don't need to be moving a lot for what you're doing consume a lot more fats that are going to metabolize much more slower in your body, but the need for carbohydrates in a time that we're coming into is not like what we think like. Sugar. Having an, yeah. I mean, sugar is virtually worthless in a, in a, in a time, like what is to come. Uh, it metabolizes super fast. It makes your, your uh, metabolism very weak uh it makes your immune system compromised for me like you look back at the ancestral wisdom and purpose of the family pig how they would cure out the fat and hang the fat in the rafters of the basement and they would literally eat they would shave off slices of back fat and it would be cured they would cure it with salt and they would put that on a biscuit or a wafer or some some type of uh you know grainy piece of bread or whatever, sourdough, whatever. And then they would just coat it in butter. So more fat. And then they would eat that. And that was, you know, that was typically a a meal for uh, uh, a housewife or somebody that was in their older years that, that helped with wisdom, but didn't move around a lot. And then you're, you're, you would save all the protein for the men, or the younger women that were doing physical things around like, you know, hand washing laundry, picking produce, doing stuff that was close to the house. And then for your children, that was where you really kind of saved if you did have carbohydrates it went to the children. Uh, And that was really how you allocated your food sources based on what the job type was. So when you ask how much food, it's a loaded question because you have to answer these. Well, who's in, who's in my tribe? How many do I have doing physical labor? How many do I have that are there for, you know, because we're going to go back to a time where there ain't, there ain't no nursing home to send grandpa and grandma to it's bring them back home, set them on the front porch, ask them questions, give them a purpose for living. Uh, The young grandchildren are that's your nursing majors. Like they care for the elders of the tribe that's where they learn how to have motherly fatherly instinct is caring for that generation that's, that's near the end, you know, and that's also where they get their rite of passage, uh, wisdom too, is where they, they go from being, uh, adolescents into manhood or into womanhood, you know, they cross that barrier of, you know, I, I accomplished something. They, For us men, I really think we need to go back to having a rite of passage again, like that line that you crossed, that you proved yourself. You have, you know, the 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 fruits of one's spirits that you can display high amounts of self-control and discipline and and, uh, you know, these physical feats to prove I am a man. I can do this. It's Uh,
0: something that shows mental toughness and resilience, too.
1: Sure. See, women have that built in. It's called childbirth. Yeah. We don't have that as men.
0: I get that. I I can understand that.
1: I mean, what a woman goes through physically during childbirth, like the preparation that they have to do mentally for their, their physical being, we don't have anything remotely close to that for us as men. And we used to, we used to have that warrior type mentality, that mindset, uh, of, of protection and providing for the tribe, you know, but we've, we've kind of gone away from that. And I think that's something we we need to reevaluate for us as, as masculine creatures.
0: Yeah. I mean, but then again, you know, when we start talking about traditional gender roles and man as a protector and, you know, that gets people upset. That gets people upset in today's society. And maybe people should be upset. Maybe people should be upset that we've strayed so far from anything that remotely resembles a sustainable way of living together on this planet. The way we've been doing it isn't working. We got to make some changes. It, I mean, psychology,
1: there are no western conservatives in the field of psychology and they hate that breakdown of data when they study those cultures that 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 break down those gender role barriers but the reality of it is is those civilizations that don't survive way longer i mean it just it is what it is i mean it's biology it's when you go against the the roles at that and you try to think like <laughs> the role of GMO, God move over. We know what we're doing better. And we try to find our identity in that. Like I am, I'm not saying for a second that a woman can't go through periods of, of being a protector or a provider, but it, for the long-term sustainability of it, they have not gone through thousands of generations of that role. And when you try to go against biology and you're changing genetics from thousands of years of genetic information, it's not going to work in one generation. It just doesn't work like that. So trusting what came before us for a reason, I think is, at this point, we're going to find out if it's smart or not.
0: It worked. I mean, it worked for a few thousand years and it worked pretty, pretty much okay. It's just been within the last i don't know 40 or 50 years that things have changed things have gone different and oh, well, maybe it's more like uh maybe it's more like 70 years i mean the whole yeah yeah it's more like 70 years yeah you know the not saying the whole women's rights movement was bad no i'm not i either. was I'm... i was under the impression that the cia funded a lot of women's right a lot of the women's rights movements back in the 60s and 70s because it was in the government's best interest to get the other 50 percent of the people that weren't working into the workforce so they can make income and be tax slaves
1: brian i'm afraid you're not wrong man
0: and you're you know, not wrong because of that now you have look i remember i mean the 80s you're a child of the 80s as well i mean things were pretty good in the 80s
1: they were in the 90s
0: but things were already breaking down they were you know society you know gender roles were being broken down society was being broken down we lost our agricultural roots all all in there from the late 70s through the 80s
1: but you got to look at I think that the height of the entertainment fad really happened at the start of the sixties when it was cool to be, it was cool to have status and entertainment when the rise of the Hollywood era began, you know, and that, that really was the beginning of the end. And, Oh, man, I'm gonna have to go back and look at it. But there was a really interesting book called it was about the patterns of Western civilization and the four seasons of spring, summer, fall and winter. And it analyzed the start of winter for our civilization was 2008. That was the beginning of the end of the, the fall season.
0: I can feel that.
1: And we really haven't begun to come to the snowstorms and the deep ends of winter until 2018. And that was really the beginning of the fall of the civilization. And it usually takes about 30 years for it to come to a spring. But those 30 years are awful. Hard. Hard.
0: Hard. Hard
1: with a capital
0: h you know the the meme's been going around good times create weak men weak men create hard times hard times create strong men strong men create good times that's right where we're at man i mean it's 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 not it's not how are we gonna live through it matt how are we gonna make sure our kids and our genetic heritage survives
1: uh yeah let me give some encouragement and just quick things we can all change we all have the power to change in our life right now number one are you are you in a place where you are fully reliant on uh anything from the government okay uh making oneself resilient financially physically mentally emotionally relationally uh is is huge and building relationships with people that you know what if you got to kiss your sweet job and your sweet car like get all the luxury stuff out of your life right now get rid of the rv get rid of the boat get rid of the golf clubs uh get rid of the season tickets at the racetrack and get yourself to a point where you are a warrior's travel light yes Okay so don't don't be super weighed down with tons of things and stuff and equipment and and uh, anything that you can cut ties to that allow you to be to a point where if you have to basically relocate or translocate somewhere uh, having family you know just have a good phone evening phone conversation and a cold beer with a family member that maybe's got that 40 acre back farm or something like hey man I'd Let's let's talk. Let's talk crazy for a while. It, 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 if stuff really got bad, could we meet out at the old barn back at the the the, the mulberry patch when we were kids? We used to go fishing at. And, and I mean, you need to have a, a bug out. I'm, it's kind of fun to talk about, honestly, to, to have a bug out location and an, a place in your mind and, and a, and a packet of seeds. And a, I have a bug out bag. My wife and I do. And we Wait, have, where are there. you
0: going to go for me? Yeah. It's like I used to have weird. a bug out bag packed, but then I start thinking where the hell am I going to go? Like if it's it that bad out here, there's nowhere left to go. My
1: problem is, is we are really close to a, a main highway. So for me, if it got that bad and we're talking, it's gotta be really bad.
0: Like the roving armed gang stage.
1: Right, right. Uh, I have, hopefully,
0: we're still two years away from.
1: <laughs> yeah, but we're always nine meals away from complete cacophony. Yes. And if that started right now, okay, what is today? Tuesday, Monday. Okay. What is it? Be Friday. Yeah, Friday. We 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 would, we would literally we would literally be pointing guns at other humans, killing them to get food by Friday. What do you think about that for changing your plans? If that doesn't motivate you like, oh, it'll be fine. We we'll, we'll wait. There's no waiting, guys.
0: It'll be better They'll- next year. We just got to pre-buy and be smart this year. Things will be better next year. You've got to
1: start planning for major life-shifting events. And if you're not, I don't know what to tell you. I don't There's nothing you or I can do. Like I say, we're done trying to wake up sheep. We've got the lions awake. We're trying to equip them with whatever they think they need to make their, their lion pride, uh, be able to survive. And that's what I'm about. I'm not in this anymore to try and wake up sheep. That time has passed. We got to, you're not awake,
0: wake the rest of the lions and get them to sharpen their fangs.
1: That's right. Yep. It's go time
0: okay we can't end on that
1: build the ark it's go time
0: build the ark so what is the ark what what is matt's metaphysical ark look like that you're building
1: yeah man it's uh it's a place that people can go to to reclaim their their physical emotional nutritional needs and have them met at a very deep level of connection with people that are like-minded many people, when they come to our home, we share dinner tables with a very diverse crowd. I'm a musician. I grew up in a very liberal, uh, you know, I went to school with a, at a liberal arts college for 10 years, you
0: know, he holds that against you. It's okay.
1: Yeah. It's, it's just part of who I am and I have conversations with people that are on that side with that mindset. And I have people that I share a table with that are gun toting Bible slinging patriotic. I mean, that's more of who I am, but I'm saying the diversity of thought that you can surround yourself with is key. Uh, if you are somebody who is a very creative type person, and you do not have a very strict, highly disciplined business-like mindset, you need to put people like that in your tribe. They're going to seem very rigid and not fun to be around, but they're they're going to save your life. If you're somebody like me that's a that's a dreamy, just out there, super creative, highly uh, uh, sociable person, you need to you need to. Surround yourself people that seem like they're super rigid, closed off introvert that are very good with numbers and have an engineered type mindset. Put people like that in your tribe, people that are not like you, that don't think like you, that necessarily aren't going to be your quote unquote best friends, but people that have the will to survive and see that they have an open mind and they know that you're different. uh, That's imperative going forward
0: somewhere Um, in everybody's friend circle is that one guy that's standing quietly in the corner watching the chaos getting ready to cut fence and run yeah maybe that's you if that's not you you better find that guy in your friend circle and if he's not there you need to go find one yep
1: absolutely um next thing is is making your space highly protectable from a security standpoint um making yourself resilient uh like do you know how to defend your own castle do you have the ability if you are not reliant on 911 can you clear your own home with a firearm can you protect your own family can you get to a location uh outside if you're in a highly highly populated high density area can you get out of there? Do you know the quickest route? Do you know the turns to make to get out of town the back way?
0: Yeah. Or are... And where are you going? Right. Yeah. You, you, you brought are... up an excellent point earlier that I kind of wanted to go back and hit on. Like, you will call up Uncle Frank that might still have 40 acres of the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that. That's possible for a lot of people. But there's a lot of folks in this country, probably, I don't know, 100 million or so, that don't have any sort of generational connection anywhere to any sort of land base or family farm. What, what, what do we have to say to those guys?
1: Literally, I'm not kidding, Brian. We're to the Hunger Games part of this. That's why the, I said the number one thing to do is build relationships. I don't care that you don't have that connection to family or somebody like that. If you are somebody that doesn't have that and you go out to a farmer who's lonely and you know how to build a relationship, the most common, simple thing that should be second nature to every human, and you can build a relationship of trust, you now have a way to survive. I mean, it is through relationships. Period. I made a video a couple of days ago called Rules Without Relationships Breed Rebellion. The relationship is the most natural thing to the human species, and we've been building them for thousands of years. If you can't build a relationship with somebody that can help you survive and you don't have skills to offer them to help them, well, I don't want to sound mean, but you are virtually pretty much worthless to helping people survive you have to have a skill to offer and if you don't acquire one
0: if your skill is is nft trading i'm sorry that's not going to grow a whole lot of corn (laughs)
1: get get in fighting shape at least be a physical specimen that you can offer physical labor unassisted that isn't a, a just a a a nag complaining box that you can work your butt off and nobody needs to check up on you. And you, you aren't a liability health-wise. Like that's a game winner right there.
0: Do you ever remember hearing any stories from quote the great depression, you know, twenties and thirties, 1920s, 1930s, Dust Bowl depression era. Yeah. Of people going out and just saying, Hey, If I work for you all day today, can I just sleep in your barn? Oh, yeah. like Absolutely. What's that going to look like? What's that going to look like in modern times?
1: It's so hard for people to even imagine. In the Bible, they talked about a whole day's wage for, uh, I forget the measurement they used, but it was basically the equivalent to like three pounds of barley. Basically working your butt off from sunup to sundown for three pounds of barley. And that time, like, people are like, oh, that's, uh, that's biblical times. Okay, well, that happened several other times between, you know, the time of Moses and the time of now, these famines that wiped across the world. And one of them just happened to be within the last hundred years where people, like you said, would work a whole day, a whole day's wages uh for for scraps on the ground and to sleep on a hay bed in a barn and they might travel down the road to the next homestead because they didn't have a car they were on foot and going back to that I think we I think what's first going to happen is there's going to be another COVID-like thing that's going to cause a a very large decline in human population
0: I think that's that's interesting You're the first person I've heard say, like, to say anything about another pandemic soon. Oh, yeah. I mean. Really?
1: Yeah, that's going to happen.
0: I, I don't know. I've been running, like, crypto circles and crypto circles and decentralized stuff. So, like, I'm a part of kind of some different conversations mm-hmm. lately. Um, you know, disease, illness, you know, another pandemic that hasn't been on my radar, and it doesn't it doesn't seem like world governments quote those in power, the lizard people, whatever the hell we want to call them i I would think that they would be hesitant to try to use that tool again so quickly, especially after all the lies that have been uncovered in the last I don't know six months.
1: Okay, well, did you notice how fast COVID dissolved? Did you notice how as soon as the Ukrainian war came up, it was like, oh, it's over. Did
0: you COVID, notice how COVID was going to end at the end of March, because that's when the mandate on airplanes expired. When they made the federal mandate to expire, I think it was like March 18th, March 19th. To fly on an airplane, you had to wear a mask. That quit. When uh-huh. that went away, COVID stopped. Uh Every other mask mandate came off and nobody's been talking about it. Coincidence or causation that you, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Don't know if it's causation or coincidence, but, you know, all within a span of a few days, we quit talking about COVID. The federal mask mandate on airplanes went away and Russia invaded Ukraine. And nobody's talking about COVID anymore. All we're talking about is how terrible Ukrainian people are. And, you know, this is a whole other can of worms in itself. And, for the listeners, this was recorded literally two weeks ago before release date. So things might be a little bit weird out of date, but you know, the way I understand it, okay, Ukraine is a very corrupt country anyway. Okay. Mm-hmm. Their government was corrupt. They were not necessarily good people.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Are the Ukrainian people good people? Just like the American people, we're good people. Our government does some fucked up shit. Same with the Ukrainians. Okay. The people in power had done some pretty messed up stuff that doesn't mean Putin's a saint that doesn't let him off the hook because he is a bad guy. Like mm-hmm. he is not, he is not a nice man. He is not a good man. I mean, Putin is Putin. He has all of the Russian citizens believing that the reason they had to go to Ukraine was because the Ukrainians wanted them there and the Ukraine and Ukraine is run by Nazis. That's what Putin is telling his people. So it, and it's it's not like Russia doesn't have a long history of propaganda and they call it mascarovka. It's not like they don't have a long history of that, okay? Mm-hmm. How do we know what's true? And this is, yeah, I see your eyebrows are going up. How do we know what's true? We know that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Google, they are giving us 100% a curated feed to try to monetize our attention and they show us the worst shit possible. And it's it's driving us down this road where we're sensationalizing attention, and monetizing attention. And the things that hold your attention are horrible things. Other people suffering. Is there like massive suffering in Ukraine by the Ukrainian people? 100%. But what's happened there is going to have far, far ranging effects on energy, on food production, on human settlement patterns, on on the world economics as a whole. Like we've, we've said it several times, we're entering an unprecedented time in human history. The rate of change of our societies is faster than it has ever been at any point in history. The velocity of information is, it blows my mind, the velocity of information. And, you know, I'm in my mid-40s. I, you're a few years younger than, you're almost 40, yes?
1: Uh, I turned 37 in a couple of weeks.
0: Uh, just a pup. <laughs> but it, we're not that much different in age. Yeah. Okay? yeah we grew know. up and saw a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And looking back from now, how long has the handwriting been on the wall? How long have we been able to speak? How long have we been able to speak the language to read that handwriting on the wall? Or has it always been there and we've just walked by it with blinders on?
1: For me, it, it jumped out and clawed at me at 2016. That was when I saw the writing on the wall. the The Hillary Trump election cycle was when I saw the potential for the the because I think what's going on right now was actually planned for if Hillary won the election, and it was it was sidetracked when Trump took out and kind of so you, threw- you
0: think you think we're four years behind the the big the big master evil plan or whatever.
1: Well look at look at how much China and Russia have prepared themselves going in. I mean China's sitting on 60% of the world's grain supply right now.
0: And they've bought most of that in the last four years. Yeah. That's it. Yeah.
1: So to me, like when I saw that happening, I felt this huge rush of urgency during that and I felt a breath of fresh air and a sigh of relief when the election didn't go as expected and it bought me some time to really get things solidified in my homestead really ironed out and I got you know I got a ton of things in place in a short amount of time and uh you know as far as food food sovereignty, food resiliency, building my network, building my tribe. I did, I did all that all throughout the Trump presidency. And, uh, I, I just, I didn't pay attention to what was going on. Uh, my focus was build, 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 build. Uh, yeah. So 2016 was where me and a lot of other people that I've started to connecting my tribe really felt this shift going on in the energy of I don't know just daily life daily civilization people made life-altering decisions quitting their job relocating just doing a lot of things differently and, and not apologizing for it and that was a big signal to me that really helped me have the confidence that believing in what I was doing for the right reasons was when I started looking around, I go, man, there's a lot of other people doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep my head down and keep going, you know?
0: So. Have the last two years been a lot of validation for you?
1: (laughs) For me, it's like having conversations with people and you know, kind of like when you're testing out the water to kind of like see how awake a person is in a new acquaintance and you'll throw out like certain like little niblets of information just to see how they react to it and be like, oh yeah, this person does know about that. Okay. So now we're, we're on to this level of trust. Let's see if they know about this. And, and you go down and it's like, people put on this front of like, you know, they kind of pretend like they're just an average everyday human and then you start unpacking stuff and you're like, holy crap, you're really switched on. You really know what's going on. Oh yeah, actually we've been we sold everything and bought an R V and we're living in the backwoods and oh wow. Okay. Cool. I don't know. It's just nice to know you're not alone when you put your head down and go in a rabbit hole and prepare for so long it's like okay, we're gonna get through this. We have a lot of people that are switched on, ready to rock and roll and that's a comforting feeling knowing you're not alone you know
0: so and that's why it's important to build community and build relationships so we don't have to go through this alone or alone as a as a single human right even alone as a family unit because even even a good family unit like yours with your four kids i know they work their butts off i know you work your butt off i know your wife works hard but is it enough
1: No, it's not. But I think there's a sweet spot where you you also can't worry about feeding the world. But I think, you know, the the average size you look at, like, look at the Native American population, when they had a tribe, or a, a single gathering, how many TPs would you usually see at a normal campsite, they had a chief and how many people would that chief oversee, you know, when they survived as a normal, you know, small groups, they might have a big tribe of Cherokee or Cheyenne Indians it would be thousands of thousands of people but when they stayed together in these small units
0: they're, they're what banned. was
1: the most right what was the most resilient size that didn't make you an easy target that you could travel light that you could accomplish a lot you didn't have too many mouths to feed you didn't have too many people you know you had the right amount of warriors to protect and go hunt you had the the right amount of children to help do small hands-on things and once you got to a certain size just like a beehive you would split
0: right you know i, I totally with you on the concept but I'm, I'm not familiar with the exact research or maybe the book or paper you're talking about but i know the number i think the number is about 150 Really? yeah i think the number is about 150 um Dunbar's number, maybe mm-hmm. something I heard on another podcast. Probably Rogan. Who knows? Um, but like, it, there's there's a set of numbers. You know, you can maintain intimate connections with X number of people. Like mm-hmm. and that's really small. Yeah. You can maintain close friendships with X number of people. Mm-hmm. And you know that that gets out to you. You can sustain emotional connections to a community of about a hundred. And 50 to 200 people so yep. i would i would theorize that like 150 is kind of like the minimum stable nucleus size for a band yeah and when that band grows to about 300 then it's time to split and like i see similarities in the amish and mennonite community right okay Yep. yep. oh so you and i can sit here and we can have a common frame of reference to talk about amish and mennonite people Mm-hmm. Okay, and we have a very we have a, a solid shared understanding of what that is, but our shared understanding is let's just say eighty percent, because that twenty percent uh, that we don't have shared understanding that goes down to the specific church or the specific yep. band that's led by their religious figure by their you know by their leader that they recognize as their leader. Similarly, we have uh, the way a lot of American Indian tribes or indigenous American tribes function is very similar. They would have a chief Mm -hmm. who was not necessarily the greatest warrior, the greatest farmer, the greatest horseman or whatever. He was, they were, and maybe it wasn't just one, one guy. It was a council of several and they would, you know, put their wisdom together to decide what's in the best interest of this band. I think it's important to have some sort of leadership accountability that because if you just have one or two people that are in charge of everything,
1: mm-hmm.
0: not saying it always happens, but when, when just one person is in charge, a lot of times what will happen is they'll start making decisions that benefit them more than it benefits everybody else, or they'll make yeah. a decision that benefits everybody, but really benefits them the most. And I think when you have a group that is, you know, running the society or that's determining the direction of where that band or tribe is going to go and what they're going to do or how they're going to interact or how they're going to handle a situation, you bring in the wisdom of a group. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, that's, a, that's actually a ranching for profit thing is the answer is in the group. You know, people always ask me, what do you learn at ranching for profit? Well, what you learn the first day is the answers in the group. Mm. So I like that. Yeah, that's why they that's why they have you sitting tables of six. That's why there's groups of, of six businesses or the table of six at ranching for profit, because the answer is in the group like singularly. I might score a 50 on a test. You might score a 95 and four other people might score in the 60s. But that one thing that you've got wrong, we've all got right. Mm-hmm. And that's why the answer's in the group. Because there's, mm-hmm. there's shared wisdom and collaboration and shared knowledge. That's right. Yep. yep. So, And when you have a group of leadership versus a singular leader, when the band gets too big, the leadership group can also split mm-hmm. and maintain some sort of consistency hmm and you know what we saw not what we saw with what I understand about Native American tribes primarily kind of live between where you're at and where I'm at which you get much west of here and south it was more Comancheria and it was Comanches and Kiowas and they were you know they were raiding they weren't necessarily they didn't have towns Mm-hmm. There, there is that one settlement that's like right in between us on the Arkansas river that they found. That's what? 12,000 years old. Mm. Maybe, maybe I have some, maybe I have a number wrong, but they found a native American settlement very close to the Arkansas river, not far from Winfield. Maybe it's Ark city that had several thousand people. And it was a permanent, like it was a permanent housing place for indigenous Americans for hundreds if not thousands of years.
1: Wow. That's so, cool.
0: There there were communities and you know you'd have tribes that would come together or you'd have these little bands that would come together for festivals and tribes but the social connections the social fabric I'm not sure that we're we're capable of maintaining more than about 150 maybe 300 social connections to anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm, i might be doing good <laughs> i might be doing good to break 100 but the, it takes all kind of folk to make the world go around
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and
0: i think that the rise of social media the explosion of social media in the last 10 years and especially the last five years they're like we're replacing that 150 person community with followers on facebook or fans on instagram or whatever they're not really your friends now some of them are some of them are really your friends but are your do i feel like my instagram followers are gonna come out and and help me work up my corn patch this month probably not well are are a few of them gonna want to have some of that corn come like july august september you bet they will
1: but I think there's uh, quite a few people that I've met in my my close circle of influence of people that have found me on the Facebook platform that I feel like for us that are into this sustainable type lifestyle that are purely following us just for that simple aspect that are seeking those people out to go, man, I know that if I got myself close, I, I you know, Matt would be somebody or Brian would be somebody that I would want to surround myself with uh, in that type of circumstance. And I've, I've had those conversations and there are those people that are, are trying to connect themselves, you know, on these digital platforms for that basic reason. So if you're, if you're one of those people and you haven't met them in person yet, or you haven't had that conversation via messenger, or at least have their, their contact information or phone number now would be a good time to do that. Like now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Work on that connection before you need it. That's
1: right. That's Especially right. Especially if you don't have it. Yep.
0: All right, man. You ready to wrap this up? Yeah, brother. Let's do it. All right. What do you want to talk? to me? What do you want to ask me?
1: Uh, where is where is your your number one focus in the next sixty days? Like, what are what are the what are the variables that you're watching to help you know the temperature of the pot of water? What signs are you watching that are causing you to shift the velocity
0: at which you move? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So geopolitically, um, that's a wild card. That's a crapshoot. I uh-huh. don't see I don't see the situation improving or things just magically resolving themselves overnight. We're headed for uh-huh. we're headed for future support. You know, more supply chain disruptions, rising input, rising input costs, rising fuel costs, and displacement of people. Like, that's what I see coming down the line. What am I doing? Um, about all I can really focus on right now is trying to make sure we get a garden in and keep keep alive what we can keep alive in the garden and try to grow as much food as we can, save seeds. Um, mm-hmm. My cow herd, um, you know, we're, we're looking down the barrel of high input costs and I'm already starting to think about what I'm going to do next winter for protein for my cows. Cause this winter I've just been feeding alfalfa because it's cheap and it's available. And I, th- I mean, next year, the price is going to go up. Am I going to be able to afford to do that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So we might go ahead and ratchet back the inputs again, um, I get on my cows. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about low input program? They're going to get salt in the summer and alfalfa in the fall and winter, and that's about it. Mm. That's about as low input as I can get a cow. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that you know are relying on a lot of inputs, a lot of DDGs, or you know things that require one or two processing steps from the field before it gets to their cows. Your costs are going to just get get nuts. I mean, even if you're feeding straight corn, your costs are going to get nuts. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think very many people have a concrete understanding of just how weird things could get this year. And I'm not going to say that I have a concrete understanding of how weird things can get this year. I've seen how weird they've been in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Multiply it by a thousand and just plan for that.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's i'm with you man that's what i'm talking about okay yeah well
0: buddy it's been great to chat with you today
1: you too bro i really enjoyed it i really enjoy
0: you i always enjoy you matthew cleffer i enjoy seeing you you're always always have something positive to say and you always really make me think
1: yeah man likewise yeah we have good conversation that's what i appreciate about you is the conversation
0: one of these days where schedules will actually meet up and you'll have a thing and i won't have a thing and i'll be able to make it over and
1: yeah man it'll happen when it's supposed to happen that's right it'll happen maybe it'll be at gale's field school but that's still a really long ways out so keep keep your ears open we'll we'll make it happen somewhere
0: someday we'll make it happen i mean if fuel gets cheap again maybe i'll just take a maybe i'll just jump in the truck take a roadie
1: do it man that's right i'm wait till my i'm back on my feet and not suffering again and i'm 100 percent. it might be a couple of weeks before i get there because i've not heeded the doctor's advice we'll just say that so
0: i'm we're not even gonna not even gonna look at that rabbit or follow the whole follow the trail that it's going down we'll just let that one we'll just let that one go but yeah you did no tell me earlier and uh I wish you the best. Yeah, um, man. Thank you. No, it's probably not a whole lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Nope. I wish you the best and a speedy recovery.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Thank you. I'm gonna keep building my arc and uh
0: getting ready for go time because yep, it's it's here. Yep. Nobody it's believed Noah when he said nobody believed no when he said the forecast looks like rain. That's right. That's right. But thunderstorms are coming. So yes, they are. All right, brother. I'm gonna let you go. And y'all have a great week.
1: All right. See you guys. See you, Matt. Yep. Bye, bud.